Our scripture today comes from Luke uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 25 to 37. It's found on page 1612 in your pew Bibles. And it happens to be the same scripture that we had last week, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and let one away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you, will ha you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? That's Burton the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. If you've been in any community for any period of time, you have probably run into a social phenomenon that some sociologists call the purity spiral. That's where a community makes a certain value very important to them. But as a community, they don't consider any other values. And if anyone doesn't have that same value, they're kicked out and ostracized from the community or publicly shamed. And that means that you have rid your group of anyone who has a different perspective. But then your group needs to find a new enemy to shame, so they find pe people who only moderately share your values, and they shame them and ostracize them. Then the cycle continues on and on, and eventually it leads to just absolutely ridiculous results. The group eventually prioritizes that one value to the point that it is just completely divorced from reality. Everyone's just one-upping themselves to score more and more points by saying just how absurdly dedicated they are to that one value. It's especially common online. For instance, um, there's a social media app called Reddit where the way it's set up is especially prone to purity spiraling. The app has a lot of communities dedicated to video games. And it often starts innocently enough with people who like that video game and want to talk to other people about the video game. But then something might happen that makes people annoyed at the game designers, maybe because they added a mechanic to the game specifically so they can make more money or something. So then somebody gives a mild complaint that the developers are making a mistake. But then somebody else piles on and says that the developers of the game that they play every day aren't very smart. Another might think that the developer needs to be fired. Then someone will say that the developer is actually evil and is adding the mechanic because they hate the gamers. Then somebody else will say that it's absurd that the developers haven't been fired. So it must be that the whole company hates all of humanity and is inflicting this game on mankind as revenge. 
Then somebody will say that obviously the people in that company should have been arrested a long time ago. So there has to be a whole government conspiracy to keep the CEO of that company out of jail. And then at some point, if somebody tries to bring the whole discussion back to reality by saying something like, well, maybe the developers just needed to make money in order to make the game and that's why they had tried to monetize it, they'll be shamed and ostracized and kicked out of the community so fast it would make your head spin. My favorite example is from another one of those communities in Reddit that's called Hydro Homies. It's a community dedicated to drinking water as a hobby. <laughs> they share their opinions about what the best kind of water is and where you should get it. I didn't follow the whole story, but all I know is that I saw one post somewhere where someone called, um, someone called Kirkland water average and Dasani water really good. And the comments on that post were just absolutely unhinged. Apparently, Dasani water is very controversial in that community. Dasani is basically tap water, and, and only people who don't know what they're talking about drink Dasani water. If you like Dasani water, get out of this community. You're banned. You don't belong in these parts. Who in the world actually likes Dasani water? But this is all just a part of our nature, even if it looks really absurd at times. We all really like the purity spiral, whether we say so or not. And it's in part because we like feeling angry sometimes. Maybe the most fundamental question of a sinful human society is the distinction between friend and enemy. Who will be my friend and who will be my enemy? Because we can't, really can't feel as good about ourselves when we are all just friends. No, it feels much better to have a nice inner circle of friends that have a common goal and have each other's bats against a common enemy. And the enemy is absolutely necessary. If the enemy did not exist, it would be necessary to invent one. That's why somebody who makes a small complaint about a game developer will eventually be eaten alive by the purity spiral, even if they almost totally agree with the community that hates the game developer. They may have been a friend at some point, but all other enemies were vanquished. So it is necessary that you become the enemy so that the purity spiral can continue. We want to be on the right side of the rules of whatever community we live in, sure. But it feels so much better to be on the right side of the rules while somebody else is on the wrong side. Because it's really easy to score cheap points with your community by coming up with bitter and bitter insults with, um, for the outsider that's breaking the rules. It's one thing to be a community that really likes Kirkland water, sure. But it's so much better to also be a community that hates Dasani water and everybody who drinks it. But it's also a part of an even more fundamental need that we convince ourselves that we have, which is to be part of the inner circle or clique of every community where we exist. C.S. Lewis did a really good job of describing this in the book, The Weight of Glory. Practically every community bigger than three or four people has this, even though it's invisible. Every community, to some extent, is, is built out of a few concentric reins of people. And what's really tricky is that it's completely natural and unavoidable. There's always going to be a group of people that are most dedicated to the community and most liked. People who are less de dedicated and so on until there's people who are very barely dedicated at all. Even Jesus seems to have had an inner circle of Peter, James, and John. You have the inner circle where you find the people who really, really know what's going on. They're the most popular. They have the most ability to shape what's going on in the group. Then you have some people who are a little less popular but generally liked by everyone, and then another reign that's a little bit less popular, and so on. And it's a really familiar feeling for people when they join into a community that they care about. 
that they want to be allowed to join that inner circle. Everybody more or less knows who that circle is, even though nobody says it. And it's a real danger that people are consumed with the desire to be a part of that inner circle. If you've watched Hamilton, they're like Aaron Burr, who really wants to be in the room where it happens, where all the back room and potentially corrupt dealings are all going down. Not because he wants to do anything different in that room or better, but just because he wants to be in that room where it happens, for his own sake and for his own ego. He wants to be in the inner circle because he knows that's the inner circle of all of America. And we love to be in that inner circle. But once you're in that inner circle, if the community is unhealthy, you'll find that one of the main things that people preoccupy themselves with is making sure that nobody else is in that inner circle. They do whatever they can to tear down the people outside that inner circle so nobody else can join. They'll make up all kinds of rules to exclude people. They'll convince people they're excluding them for good reasons and even tear each other down so that they can be the ones that are really, really in the middle of that circle. In other words, even when you get to the middle of one of these circles, you're not actually happy. You turn yourself into a paranoid mess because you've spent all your time trying to be in that inner circle and even taking pleasure in the fact that people are excluded. Have you ever noticed something, somebody feeling dejected that they were kept out of the inner circle? And were you deep down kind of happy that they were so sad and dejected? Probably at some point in your life. But never gives you true long-term happiness anyway. Obsession with the inner circle is a fool's errand. Now, churches and communities built around God really aren't immune to that. In fact, it might actually be worse in churches. And that's at least a little bit because churches have a defined set of standards for how you should act, which is laid out in the Bible. And we thank God for that. We need God's law or we will destroy ourselves. God's law is the inner logic of the universe, and we live, if we live according to that law, we will be so much more fulfilled and happy. It will be easier to have a relationship with God. The law is an incredibly good thing, but we have a sinful human nature that is capable of warping even God's greatest gifts and turning them into clubs that we can beat each other with. And God's law is no exception. We read the Bible and we see it say, thou shalt not commit adultery, or even anyone who looks at someone with lust in their eyes has committed adultery with her in his heart. And we think, hmm, I've totally seen Jimbo, or I've totally seen Debbie committing adultery, or at least looking with lust at other people. And then, instead of using God's law as an opportunity to reflect on ourselves and to make sure that we're living at peace with God, we use it as, as an opportunity for purity spiraling. We can use the law as a way to get closer to the inner circle by tearing out the people that are in the way. Or we can use the law to make sure nobody else gets too close to that inner circle. Ah, Jimbo is getting a little bit too popular around here. Better tell everybody about how I caught him checking Debbie out with lust in his eyes. And what's so dangerous uh, is that sometimes you don't even know that's what you're doing. You convince yourself that you're just a nice, concerned citizen who's revealing information that's of public interest when really you're tearing people down with the words of God that are meant to build, build people up. You're saying, sometimes to yourself, I'm just so concerned about Jimbo, when deep down you're really glad that Jimbo slipped up because it's a great opportunity for you. That's really ugly, because it makes you happy that sin is happening. The process is a slow one that, if unarrested, leads you to become almost a demon, someone who can only take pleasure in seeing other people sin.
In a lot of ways, the God-given law of the Bible makes churches even more susceptible to purity spiraling than other communities. It's one thing to be a community that loves Kirkland water. It feels so much better to be a community that hates Dasani water and everyone who drinks it. But could you imagine how great it would feel if God himself banned everyone from drinking Dasani water and you felt totally justified in thinking that Dasani is evil? Now, this is something that's going on in our passage today. Last week, we went over the meat of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you're interested, you can watch or listen how I read the parable as a whole in my sermon from last week. But this week, I want to just focus on the question that the lawyer asks. Jesus says that he's supposed to love God and love his neighbor as himself. But the lawyer asks, well, who is my neighbor? This lawyer is a guy who knows God's law like the back of his hand. When people are wondering about certain commandments of the Torah, everybody goes to him to hear what he has to say. He probably was a really important part of his community. In other words, he's part of the inner circle. But now Jesus is strolling on into his community, and everybody's following him and trying to hear what Jesus has to say about the law. Jesus is, in t- is teaching in ways completely unlike how all the lawyers were teaching. And people really thought that he had some good things to say. Is Jesus forming a new inner circle? Maybe. The lawyer is probably feeling threatened, and he likes being the guy that everybody asks about the Torah. Whatever the case, the motivation that the lawyer has for asking this question is completely clear. He wants the number of people that could be called his neighbor to be as small as possible. He wants it to be, maybe he wants it to be only Jews and not Gentiles. Maybe he wants it to be the righteous and not sinners. Who knows? But we do know that he wants the beneficiaries of his neighborliness to be as few as possible. And the text says that he's trying to trap Jesus. Everybody in the crowd is kind of on the same page he is. They all want the inner circle to be as small as possible, to be neighbors to as few people as they can, and to be the special chosen people of God in the inner circle with their perfect purity. But the lawyer knows that Jesus has a different kind of idea. Jesus has been eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's been friendly with some Gentiles like the Samaritans we talked about last chapter, in the last chapter. Jesus might have his own inner circle, but his community he made is one that tries to include as many people as possible, even people you might be uncomfortable with. Jesus doesn't purity spiral. He turns the inner circle outward out of love for everybody. The lawyer knows that's going to be scandalous, and he's hoping to trip Jesus up in his words so that everybody would see that they fo- if they follow Jesus, the jig is up, and their special inner circle isn't going to be so special anymore. And you'll notice that the answer that Jesus gives doesn't completely line up with the question that the lawyer asks. The lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? As in, who is the person that should be a beneficiary of my neighborliness? Or who should I love? But Jesus answers by asking after the parable, who proved to be a neighbor here? In other words, Jesus refuses to dignify the lawyer's question with a straightforward response. Instead, he describes what a proper neighbor does. He takes care of people in need. He pays whatever is necessary so that they can continue to survive. And he loves other people like himself. Basically, Jesus' answer is, stop splitting hairs over who your neighbor is. Like, you can limit that number as much as possible so you don't have to open up your nice, comfortable inner circle. Stop using the laws and its excuse to make that circle as small as possible. Stop asking who your neighbor is, just be one. 
What Jesus is showing here is that the moral law that God has given us through Christ is not meant to be used to close our circle as small as possible. Forgot to do that. <laughs> it's not meant to be used as an opportunity to purity spiral, to find more and more obscure reasons to kick people out of your church and out of your inner circle so you can be that special people that God loves more than everyone else. We're not meant to be competitive and one-upping one another with the law that God has given us. But instead, we're meant to love one another through the law. In fact, to do anything other than that is actively going against the very center of God's law. The lawyer knows that the most basic commandment of the law on which the whole Old Testament depends is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But his entire attitude is completely contrary to that commandment. He doesn't love his neighbor as himself because he's using the law to exclude as many people as possible from his love. He's using the law to destroy the law. No, Jesus says. If you're actually going to follow the law, you have to actually love your neighbor as yourself and not use the law to love as few people as possible. So in the church, we should avoid that same attitude that the lawyer had and instead have the same attitude that Jesus did. We should avoid limiting the people that we include as our neighbor. Instead, just be neighbors. Jesus created a healthy community because he lived at its center, at the very middle of that inner circle. But he didn't use that position of honor for its own sake. And he didn't use his power that it afforded him to rule with an iron fist and make sure nobody got too close to the middle and to getting into that inner circle. No, instead he turned his attention outward. He genuinely loved other people and worked to include them in his kingdom. When his disciples got competitive about who would be in the inner circle, about who would sit on the right and left hand of his kingdom in heaven, he said, whoever wants to be great among you must become servant of all, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. What it truly means to be a part of that inner circle of Jesus' kingdom is to care very little about whether you're in the inner circle, but instead to care about whether other people are included in the circle at all. When you come to any social situation, your work, your church, your bowling club, your friend group, your goal isn't to schmooze your way into the inner circle, but instead to look outward at anybody who is on the outside and make them feel like they belong. Because that's the only way that's, that's going to make the community healthy. And if you really care about the community and not just your ego, it's exactly what you're going to do. So if we have a different kind of kingdom, we should hope that when people come to see us, they see a different kind of community. The world backbites each other, climbing over one another to get into the inner circle. But our community is one that's modeled after Jesus. So we should turn our attention outward instead of inward. We look at ways that we can be part of this community and include them in our project, rather than purity spiraling and kicking out as many people as possible. And hopefully, whenever someone meets us, they'll see that there's something different about us. The world looks like Congress just down the road, betraying and clawing at one another to get to the inner circle and to get the best committee assignments and get the best sound bites. But we look different because we don't score points against each other, but we love each other and we enjoy each other's company. And wouldn't you rather be part of that community? So we should use the law that God has given us toward that end. When you see your brother or sister in Christ stumble, 
you do have a responsibility to correct them so that their relationship with God and with their community can be made right. You use God's law, moral law to help them to be fully included when they stumble, not to kick them out. But check yourself, because the temptation to purity spiral is always there. If you're tempted to go tell tons of other people about the way that the person messed up, stop, pause. First, go and tell that person that what you're thinking before you tell everybody else. Maybe they'll fix their behavior, and then nobody else will have to know. If you look at yourself and you find yourself kind of happy that they messed up, stop, pause. Work on your own heart that enjoys the sin of your brother or sister before you go trying to fix that heart. Now sure, this way of using the law makes it harder to get to the inner circle. It makes it harder to purity spiral. But the purpose of the law is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you need an example, look at Jesus himself. Jesus had every right to enforce his role on the inner circle. He was God incarnate. But instead, he opened his circle as wide as he could so that he could make a different kind of kingdom than what you see in this world. So have this mindset, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not count equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave up your status in the inner circle of the Trinity out of love for us, so that we could join into your kingdom and join in to the full presence of God. Inspire us with your own life, so that we could imitate you in building a kingdom that isn't concerned with power or status, but is instead concerned with loving the city and the community that you gave us. In your name we pray. Amen.